Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. about fasting, and uh, if you're welcome to join in with us. And I know that some people, because of health concerns, are, you know, unable to enter into fasting. You talk with your doctor, do what's best for you, obey what God says to you, and no telling what will happen. Last year, as we uh, fasted together, some good things happened in people's lives, and we'll be looking forward to testimonies. So tonight, at 6 o'clock, We'll be having Bible study here down in the hall uh, down there, and it's a time for testimonies of what's going on in your life, time for, uh, especially this month, for prayer, fasting and prayer, and asking God to uh, work in our hearts and lives in a special way and to draw us closer uh, to Him. Uh, Fasting is doing not just giving up chocolate-covered cherries for a week or something like that. Uh, Fasting is getting rid of all distractions, including food, and uh, a a complete fast is no food, no water. You don't want to do that unwisely, okay? Um, But then uh, some people do fasting where they don't eat through the day and just eat in the evening. They restrict what they eat to just no bread, no meat. Uh, just vegetables, nothing fried, etc. That's up to you. There's all kinds of ways to do this. The thing that God looks for is do you have a heart that says, I love you more than I love anything else? You know, one time when the nation of Israel was fasting and praying uh, before the Lord, Samuel uh, was there and the Philistines heard that they were all together. They said, let's just go up there and mop them all up. And five Philistine cities and armies came converging on Israel. And Samuel poured out water before the Lord. The last thing that you give up in your fast is water. And he said, God, uh, we've given up food, we're fasting, and we are weak before this huge multitude coming against us, much better armed than we are. But we are here before you, your people, in your land, in your place. And now we pour out this water saying we love you more than we love life itself. And God turned, he thundered a great thunder it says, and the Philistines uh, ran, the children of Israel chased them, picked up their weapons and there were a well-armed army shortly and they took over cities that the Philistines said, all through the Bible there's stories of fasting and prayer and God's intervention Jehoshaphat was in in Jerusalem and God was blessing him and the nation was walking with God and here came three huge armies against them and Jehoshaphat said people fast and pray and one of the prophets stood up and says God says you don't have to fight at all just send a choir tell them to sing tell Joel and the band go play for a while and watch what I do and he turned uh, the enemy uh, the the three armies onto each other and they destroyed each other as Linda was praying that prayer and I've been praying that prayer uh, uh, Lord uh, the people that have no interest in your will your ways and your glory. Turn them on to each other. Let them destroy each other. I laugh when I listen on the news. 
so-and-so just demolished the other person. I said, yeah, good, answered prayer, thank you, Lord, LOL. And uh, I carry on. I, I pray about the politics, pray about the nation. You know, God has been intervening, uh, and he is the King of Kings, as you yes, said yes. in the prayer. He is the Lord of Lords. Jesus said, I have all authority in heaven, all authority on earth. You go. So in fasting and prayer for myself, what I'm doing is asking God to help me take another step forward in my walk with him uh, and, and to, to grow with him. And so I hope what I have to share today may have helped you. You know, Moses, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I have out in the lobby breaking up the fallow ground, an outline for repentance. It's written by Charles Finney, uh, Keith and Melody Green edited it. And um, it's just a good, helpful thing. If you say, well, I really think I'm a pretty good person, and I think I'm doing real good compared to the rest of these people here, well, just read down through there and see what God is interested in in your life, and it'll be a help to you. So that's out on the table. If we run out, let me know, and we'll get you some more. I've also got a paper out there on what is Rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Uh, in, in the Bible, there's two words for the word, Greek words for the word, uh, word, logos, and uh, Rhema, and so you can just read about that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is the word Logos. But it says uh, that the um, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Rhema, the Word of God. And it'll give you some teaching on that. You can read and talk about that if you like to later. So Moses fasted for 40 days up on the mountain. And then he received the law. Forty days. Then he went down, saw them sinning. Uh, God told him what they were doing. He broke the Ten Commandments and then went back up on the mountain and fasted for another 40 days. Uh, that was very unusual. Uh, no food, no drink. They're in the presence of God. Uh, Elijah, for 40 days after he had, uh, the fire came down on Mount Carmel and then uh, he defied all the prophets of Baal and they killed all of them. But then Jezebel, one woman, threatened him and he went into the wilderness and was depressed and suicidal and said, oh God, just kill me. I'm the only one left. God says, oh no, I got plenty of others that, that love me and follow him after me. Uh, lay down, go to sleep. And so he fed him, angel fed him. He got up and the angel said, you need to eat some more. So he fed him again. He laid down and slept and he went for 40 days uh, uh, on that uh, nourishment. Uh, Hezekiah was in Jerusalem, surrounded by a huge army, and the king said, no other God has been able to deliver the people of Israel, and I'm here, I'm going to destroy you. Don't let your king tell you your God can help you. Give up now. And Hezekiah came, Hezekiah came and knelt down before God with Isaiah the prophet, and they said, look, God, this is what this man says in this letter. No God can deliver. You're the living God. We're your people. We're in your city. Yes, we have sinned. Yes, we have great need. Oh, God. Help. And God said, watch this. He sent one angel down, killed 185,000 of their officers in one night. And it says in the King James, they woke up and they were all dead men. I just think that's a funny way to put that. But, uh, and so the, the, king, the, the general shakes his fist as he leaves. He says, don't let him fool you and think that your God has delivered you. I'll be back. And, and I, I keep telling this story, but I really like it. Uh, he went home and he was worshiping his God. Uh, and his two sons came in and killed him right in front of his God. And I just love that. I just said, LOL, in my margin again. Uh, his own God couldn't <laughs> deliver him while he's worshiping him from his own family. Uh, our God 
is in charge of this world. And our God is the living God. Jesus came, as we said last week, to show us God with skin on. There's many bad views of God. Many, uh, you okay, Miss Shirley? Having a hard time? Yes, okay. Uh, let's stretch our hands out to her and pray for her. This is Shirley Simpson. Father, we just thank you for Shirley. She made the effort to get up, to get dressed, and to come here. Lord, she's in great pain. We pray for your mercy and your grace to be on her. We pray that you touch her. Thank you, Lord, for how you spared her life many times. And I thank you for she and Paul and their faithfulness to be here, to be here to worship you and to sing. And, and, and I pray now that you comfort her and strengthen her and bless her as she goes home. We pray for your continued blessing in her life. And we join together, Lord Jesus. We don't know what... Uh, we can't do anything, but you can do all things. And we join together in prayer for her, our sister. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. And you're welcome to... I didn't mean to make you sit down. You're welcome to go. Okay. God bless you. Pardon? Oh, sure. Thank you. I see your wonderful face. <laughs> Thank you for that positive word of encouragement. Uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a, a servant, a slave in the country, and he was serving the king. And he was a cupbearer, a very trusted friend of the king. He had to taste everything that the king ate, and so if there was poison in it, he went first. And Nehemiah was there, and some men came from Jerusalem, and they said, Nehemiah, the city walls are broken down. We're a devastation. We're a mockery to everybody out there in Jerusalem. We're God's people, and we're disgraced. And Nehemiah was heartbroken about that. Listen, he fasted and prayed for three months. Some of us think if we fast and pray for two days, God ought to do something. He fasted and prayed for three months, and one day he, he was, and he made a plan. He had it all written down. One day as he was serving the king, his wine, the king says, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you, man? Now, that was a bad thing for the king to say because that could, could mean, hey, I've noticed something. You watched your cupbearer real carefully because if he changes, uh, he may be slipping you something. So Nehemiah says, oh, I was scared. And I said, oh, God, help. And he said, sir, I'm heartbroken because Jerusalem, the, the walls are broken down and our nation is in disgrace. And the king said, well, what do you want to do? He said, sir, I would love to get letters from you, the army from you and go back there and cut down trees out of the royal forests and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that your forefathers destroyed. He said, well, how long are you going to be gone? He said, well, I'll, I'll come back, sir. And he said, well, you go. And he signed all the documents and sent it. Fasting and prayer can change amazing things. And you may be in your situation say, well, that's those Bible people. That's those other people. That's way back then. God is the same yesterday and forever. And God loves you. And we were studying in the book of Acts in, in Acts chapter 2. You know, if you're a child of God, you have the same Holy Spirit that was in the Apostle Paul. Even better than that, you have the same Holy Spirit who was in Jesus. Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit. Not a force, not a wind, not a breath. God, the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, is in you. The thing we want to talk about today is how much control does he have in your life? Yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but does he have you? This is an offer to start the year again with a, a, a different presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Esther was facing uh, the annihilation of the Jewish people in the kingdom, and she fasted and prayed with her friends and with Mordecai, and God 
turned everything all around and saved uh, his people. David uh, is a man who fasted often, and he writes about how he fasted, and his knees were weak from fasting, my flesh grew lean uh, without fatness. Uh, Daniel gave attention to, to fasting and prayer, and an angel came to him three weeks later and said, Daniel, the first day you started praying, I started coming, but there have been demonic forces opposing me, holding me back, and finally, Michael, your prince, came and helped me, and I was able to break through, and this is God's message to you. Now, i got to go. The battle's going on elsewhere, and i got to go fight over there. Listen, we are in a spiritual warfare all around us. We're in a spiritual warfare in your family, a spiritual warfare in your business, spiritual warfare in your health, spiritual warfare in our nation, and we're asking God to help us to be all that we can be by His grace and by His Holy Spirit in this community. Amen? Amen. And that this will be a year where we encounter Him and we have testimony after testimony of God's uh, work. Uh, Joel said, yet even now, God said, after I brought judgment on you, I sent gnawing locusts and chewing locusts and all kinds of locusts and destroyed everything. But if you will humble yourselves, if you will, now, Joel chapter 2, verse 12, if you will return to me with all your heart, and with fasting and weeping and mourning, he said, then I would restore uh, your what, what you have lost, restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. God is after your heart. heart. God is after your, everybody say it with me, your heart. Your heart. That's what he's after. Your heart. My heart. So as we're fasting, we're saying, God, uh, I'm going to do without food. I'm going to do without even dessert. I'm going to do without everything. I'm going to humble myself before you. Now, sackcloth was the burlap that they would carry grain in. And if you dressed yourself in sackcloth, that's rough. That'll ruin your complexion. And if you then have fasting, sackcloth, and then ashes, they would take ashes from the fireplace and dump them over themselves. In other words, I'm not concentrating on how I look. I'm not concentrating on that. I humble myself. I, there's nothing about me that is desirable. Oh, God, I want to know you. Oh, God, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to be your servant. I want to be pleasing to you. Help me, God, in this situation. And as they cried out, God intervened and worked throughout history. Jesus fasted 40 days. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that we talked about last week, if, if you fast, or not if you fast, when. when you fast. God expects us to fast and pray. And you say, well, I'm not used to that. I can't do that. My blood sugar and all that. Hey, start small. Work up to it. You'd be surprised. We've had people here with blood sugar problems that their problems aren't like they used to be because they fasted and prayed. People who had other physical problems that didn't seem to be even related to that. But God uh, worked in their finances. Uh, I had somebody just telling me this last week, a wonderful story in their finances of how they used to struggle just to have enough gas to come to church. And now God's blessing in their lives in a great way. As we, God has our heart. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and I'll take care of all that other stuff you all are uh, worried about. In Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul and Barnabas and several men were meeting together and praying. And they were prophets and teachers fasting and praying and ministering to the Lord. And while they were doing that, ministering to the Lord, saying, oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. We, you you've given us this big job to do to go out into all the world. Help us to be faithful to you. And as they ministered to the Lord with fasting and prayer, the Holy Spirit said, 
separates me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I've got for them to do. And they went out and began the missionary journeys, and out of the missionary journeys come uh, uh, two-thirds of the New Testament, writing to those different churches. If you will get sensitive to the Holy Spirit, He'll speak to you. He will talk to you. He will guide you. I feel like even as I started into this fast, I said, Lord, I'm not sure what I'm looking for, but I do want to be closer to you. I feel like he's given me some guidance, and I hope that what I share with you today will be of help. Does God have some people that he is closer to and uh, responds to their prayers more than others? Does God have some favorites? Be careful. So God's not a respecter of persons. So does God have some people that he listens to more than others? Now I would get you to raise your hands, but uh, Joe Hensley used to say over at Intelligence, when he asked the question, sit real still. <laughs> well, uh, I'll just tell you, you can look later at Ezekiel chapter 14. In Ezekiel 14, don't go there now, but in Ezekiel 14, God was sending devastation down uh, on Israel because they had continually killed the prophets. They had disobeyed him. They were so wicked. And he said, now, even if Noah, Job, or Daniel were here, they could only save themselves. They couldn't save their wife. They couldn't save, if they had a wife, they couldn't save their kids. They couldn't save anybody. They could save themselves. Um, some of the people who have been here a long time know this story, but some of you that are new, this story will bless your heart. Some people don't remember anything else about my sermon except the story, so no, just be good. You know, there's this old man, he's riding down the road. He had his little pickup truck like they used to have way back then, that bench seat there. And he's riding down the road with Granny, and she's sitting over there by that door. And she said, honey, you remember when we used to ride down the road and it looked one body, it looked like one body with two heads? Said, I was sitting so close to you. He said, yep. I had not noticed. <laughs> She's sitting over there now, but that's her choice. God says, you're as close to me as you want to be. You're as close to me as you want to be. Now, back in the prayer room, we talked about this a while ago. In prayer is the thermo thermometer of the church and the thermostat of the church. Prayer is work. Paul says, I labor in prayers for you. It means that you've got to concentrate and work at it. Uh, how many of you fall asleep praying? Good. Uh, how many of you pray at all? No. Uh, yeah. uh, it's easy to go to sleep praying, but I figure going to sleep praying is better than just going to sleep. All right? So uh, I, I, one time I was at a lady's house. She was an older lady, and it was really hot in her house. It was cold outside, and I was so tired, and I was... They're talking to her, and I was said prayer, and I went to sleep in my own prayer. But that is not good. <laughs> I was praying, and then I, I just I look up at her, and she's just sitting there. <laughs> so I stood up and paced up and down, prayed the rest of the prayer. Uh, so God wants us to be choosing to come after Him and to seek after Him and to uh, ask for His guidance and work in our lives. Fasting helps secure favor in situations. We talked about Nehemiah. Fasting prepares us for new seasons of life. Moses, as he fasted, was given the law that was going to be the guide for the children of Israel to 
for the, the next year. Uh, Jesus fasted as he got ready to start into his ministry. The Holy Spirit came on down to him and he was baptized and the Holy Spirit let him out. He fasted for 40 days, tempted by the devil, and then began, came, it says, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee and, and began his ministry. Paul and Barnabas there, before they started their missionary journeys, were fasting and praying. Fasting gives us a greater awareness of God's presence and a new sensitivity. It's a quieting uh, of the heart. Fasting helps us discern God's will and to break Satan's grip. In Daniel 10, as I told you, Daniel, as he prayed there, the evil spirits were hindering the, the uh, angel from coming and giving him an answer. And 24, day, day, 24 days later, the answer came. God breaks the hold of, of Satan. When you fast, you will see God show up in your situation. Fasting tells God, I want you and your blessing more than food and personal pleasure. Fasting uh, it says the reward is worth the struggle. <laughs> fasting and prayer for power from on high. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, I love to hear the turning of pages in your Bible. <laughs> the fingers clicking on your keyboard. <laughs> Hopefully you don't get distracted to your Facebook. Okay. Matthew 28. Jesus came, verse 18, and spoke and, and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Say that with me. All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. All authority. He is God Almighty. There is no force stands against him. There's no voting block can outvote him. Uh, he has all authority. Not going to have. Not going to have just authority in heaven. You've got something about that. No. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He says, go therefore. Now these are his last words. You know, when somebody's dying, sometimes you, you bend down near them to hear their last words, what they got to say. Well, this is Jesus standing there. So this is what I want you to do. Uh, David, this is what I want you to do. Emily, this is what I want you to do. Ed, this is what I want you to do, Steve. Go ye. Justin, Sandy. Go ye. Therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Not just get saved so you go to heaven, get saved so you dodge hell. Teach them. Disciple them. And all I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In, in John 15, 12, Jesus, th this is the great commission here, and then the great commandment is what? Yes, that love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So we have the great commission and the great command that he's given us. In John 16, uh, we won't go there, John 16, 5 through 15, Jesus uh, said, uh, left, and he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be your helper. Let's look at uh, Acts 1. 1 through 8. Acts 1, 1 through 8. <coughs> Luke 
Luke says the first account I, I composed was Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. He gathered them together and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verse 14, it says, they were all with one mind, 120 of them, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now listen, there were people from all over the world had come there uh, to celebrate Passover. People who loved God from Arabia, from Assyria, from all over the world had come there. They'd left their jobs, left their homes, come there to worship. People who really sought after God. When you're seeking after God, don't give up quickly. Don't give up because it's a, it's a, it's a trial and a trouble. When you're seeking after Him, He is worth the struggle. And as they were there uh, in Jerusalem, suddenly as these 120 are praying, Jesus told them, do not leave. Don't go try to do the great commandment. Don't go and try to do the, the great commission until I send the Holy Spirit on you. And they were there just meeting and praying. They didn't know what was going to happen. And you will not know what's going to happen all the time as you seek after God. You don't know the time. You don't know the place when he will break through and do something special in your life. But uh, I have the sense, like Joel said a while ago, I have the sense God has something special here to do today. And I hope that what I share will be uh, of encouragement to you and stimulus to you, to fasting, to prayer, and to uh, experiencing God. And suddenly, verse 2, there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing uh, uh, wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them tongues as a fire distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. I don't, Hebrews 1 says that God's angels are like flames of fire. I don't know if it was angels that came like that or if it was just flames of fire. But anyway, it was very, very uh, clear. And all of them received the Holy Spirit. All of them had these tongues of fire on them. And they were all filled, verse 4, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues of the Spirit as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And uh, then here came all the devout people who had come seeking God to Jerusalem. And they were getting ready to experience a whole new dimension of God. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men, verse 5, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these all speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them speaking in our own language? And it lists all the different languages. And verse 11 says, They were speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others mocked, said, Ah, they're just full of new wine. But Peter took his stand and raised his voice and declared, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine in the morning. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. I love this. Listen, God makes a plan. He tells you what the plan is, sometimes hundreds of years in advance, then he does it. 
Do you know that he's written out in Revelation? He's written out in Jude and in Peter. Written out what's coming next. I don't know exactly how. don't know exactly when. But he said it will come. God, history, H-I-S-T-O-R-I. Spell the first three letters with a capital. H-I-S. It's his story. He's in charge. Now, does he allow wicked people to do things? Yes. Is he at work here? Does he give us some freedom and interaction? Yes. God is interactive. He gives you choices. You have choices to make. And uh, like we said a while ago, you can be as close to him as you want to. But that means that you'll have to let go of some other things. And so here, Peter begins his sermon. God is more willing to give the Holy Spirit than we are to receive him. There are some hindrances in our lives sometimes to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a man in 1792 to 1875, a great revival speaker named Charles Finney. How many of you have heard of him? Oh, man, good for you. Uh, Charles Finney was an evangelist during the 19th century. Billy Graham says, few men have turned, had such a profound impact on their generation as Charles Grandison Finney. Through his spirit-filled evangelistic ministry, uncounted thousands came to know Christ, resulting in one of the greatest periods of revival in the history of America. In the following excerpt, he recounts his empowering by the Holy Spirit while alone in his law office after his conversion in the autumn of 1821. Finney says, But as I turned and I was about to take my seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost without any expectation of it, without ever having thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without my recollection that I had ever heard such a thing mentioned by any person in the world. The Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I don't know, but I should say I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after another, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I can't bear it anymore, yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me in this state of loud weeping and said, Mr. Finney, what ails you? I could make him no answer for some time, and he said, Are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could and replied, No, but so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the office and in a few minutes returned with one of the elders of the church whose shop was just across from our, our office. This elder was a very serious man, and in my presence he'd been very watchful, and I had scarcely ever seen him laugh. When he came in, I was very much in the state in which I was in when the young man went out to call him. He asked me how I felt, and I began to tell him. Instead of saying anything, he fell into the most spasmodic laughter. It seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. Uh, that is the testimony of Charles uh, Finney. There are things as we fast and as we pray, and as we read God's word, and we seek to hear from him, uh, what I've been getting for me that I need is 
here at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and filled them, they didn't know it, but they had a treasure box. They had all kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit had given them, but they didn't know what they were yet. They, they had the gift of tongues, which was evidence there, but they had the gift of illumination, revelation. They had the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. They had healing. They had all of these gifts that were in them, but they had not learned to exercise them yet, didn't have them working yet. But as Peter came out from there, listen, now this is, this is an important thing, I think, for me and for us. As they came out from there, speaking in tongues, and these people could hear the languages, and they felt the power of God there, and they, were, they weren't saying, now you need to get saved. No, they were speaking glorious and praising God and magnifying God in all these different languages. And then these people said, well, well what are you talking about? And then 3,000 people were saved. Now, if you read Peter's sermon, it's not that stellar. <laughs> Serious. I mean, it, it, well, it's not the kind of a sermon that when you read it, you just suddenly want to get saved yourself. It, 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 but the impact was incredible. That's what I'm talking about today. And I'm going to read you a couple of stories from Mr. Finney's life. That's what I'm talking about today. There came an anointing from God. There came an empowering from God that took his word and smashed into people's hearts. And they were pierced to the heart. And they said, what do we do? And he said, repent. Put your faith in Christ. Be baptized or identify with him. Come up out of that water. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in a new kind of life. Following after Jesus. That power. That is what we need in my life. In our life. As a church. We need people to come in. First Corinthians says that when people come into the assembly, they should come in and hear the word of God in such power that they fall on their knees and say, God is here. Yeah. And they didn't even know anybody there. Now, uh, I, I'm just going to read you a couple of stories from Charles Finney's life. Now listen, we don't worship people and no person is perfect. But these are things that happened in his life, and God used him to win thousands. And Billy Graham, they said that the best percentage he had is about 10% of his converts stuck with him. Finney's, after years, of, when they followed up his converts that, that had come to Christ, it was 75% stuck with him uh, for, for many, many years. Um, he said, to the honor of God alone, I would like to say a little of my own experience in this matter. I was powerfully converted on the morning of the 10th of October. In the evening of the same day and on the morning of the following day, I received overwhelming baptisms of the Holy Ghost that went through me, as it seemed to me, body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. My words seemed to fasten like barbed arrows into the souls of men. They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. Multitudes can attest to this. Oftentimes, a word dropped without my remembering would fasten conviction and often result in almost immediate conversion. Sometimes I would find myself in a great measure empty of this power. I would go out and visit and find that I made no saving impression. I would go and exhort and pray to the same result. I would then set apart a day for private fasting and prayer, fearing that this power had departed from me. And I would inquire anxiously after the reason of this apparent emptiness. After humbling myself and crying out for help, the power would return upon me with all its freshness. This has been the experience of my life. I could fill a volume with the history of my own experience and observation with respect to this power from on high. In fact, it is a fact of consciousness and observation, but a great mystery. 
I've said that sometimes a look has in it the power of God. I've often witnessed this. Let me list the following uh, fact to illustrate it. I once preached for the first time in a manufacturing village. The next morning, I went into the manufacturing establishment to view its operations. As I passed into the weaving department, I beheld a great company of young women, some of whom I observed were looking at me, and then at each other in a manner that indicated they had a just a trifling spirit, and that they knew me, so maybe they'd been at the church and seen it, but they were just uh, chatting and carrying on. I, however, knew none of them. As I approached nearer to those who recognized me, they seemed to increase in their manifestation of lightness of mind. Their levity, or their uh, laughter and carrying on, made a peculiar impression on me, and I felt it to my very heart. I stopped short and looked at them. I knew not how, how I, knew, I know not how, as my whole mind was absorbed with the sense of their guilt and danger. As I settled my countenance on them, I observed that one of them was very much agitated. A thread broke. She tried to mend it, but her hands trembled in such a way that she could not do it. I immediately observed that the sensation was spreading and became universal among that class of triflers. I looked steadily at them until one after another, one after another gave up and paid no more attention to their looms. They fell on their knees, and the influence spread throughout the whole room. I had not spoken a word, and the noise of the looms would have prevented my being heard in my hand. In a few minutes, all work was abandoned, and tears and lamentations filled the room. At this moment, the owner of the factory, who was himself an unconverted man, came in, uh, accompanied, I believe, by the superintendent, who was a professed Christian. When the owner saw the state of things, he said to the superintendent, Stop the mill! What he saw seemed to pierce into the heart. It's more important, he heard, he remarked, that these souls be saved than this mill run. As soon as the noise of the machinery had ceased, the owner inquired, What should we do? We must have a place to meet, where we can receive instruction. The superintendent replied, The mule room will do. The mules were run out of the way, and all the hands were notified and assembled in that room. We had a marvelous meeting. I prayed with them and gave them such instructions at the time as they could bear. The word was with power. Many expressed hope that day, and within a few days, as I was informed, nearly every hand in that great establishment, together with the owner, had hope in Christ. This power is a great marvel. I have many times seen people unable to endure the word. The most simple and ordinary statements would cut men off from their seats like a sword, would take away their bodily strength and render them almost helpless as dead men. Several times it's been true in my experience that I could not raise my voice or say anything in prayer or exhortation except in the mildest manner without entirely overcoming those that were present. This was not because I was preaching terror to the people, but the sweetest sounds of the gospel would overcome them. Their power seemed to pervade the atmosphere of one who is highly charged with it. This power. Many times, great numbers of persons in the community would be clothed with this power when the very atmosphere of the whole place seemed to be charged with the life of God. Strangers coming into it and passing through the place will be instantly smitten with the conviction of sin and in many instances converted to Christ. When Christians humble themselves and consecrate their all afresh to Christ and ask for this power, they will often receive such a baptism that they will be instrumental in converting more souls in one day than all their lifetime before. I'd like to be one of those. Yes. While Christians remain humble enough to retain this power, the work of conversion will go on till the whole communities and regions of the country are converted to Christ. The same is true of ministers. But this article is long enough. If you'll allow me, I'll have more to say on the subject. Let me read you one more story. You like that? Yes. Yeah. Ever seen anything like that? I've been around that field. I will read a 
I will relate another exhibition of this power from on high as I witnessed it myself. Soon after I was licensed to preach, I went into the region of the country where I was an entire stranger. I went there at the request of a female missionary society located in Oneida County, New York. Early in May, I think, I visited the town of Antwerp in the northern part of Jefferson County. I stopped at the village hotel and there learned that there were no religious meetings held in that town at the time. They had a brick meeting house, but it was locked up. By personal effort, I got a few people to assemble in the parlor of a Christian lady in a place and preach to them on the evening after my arrival. As I passed around the village, I was shocked at the horrible profanity that I heard among the men wherever I went. I obtained leave to preach in the schoolhouse on the next Sabbath, but before the Sabbath arrived, I was much discouraged and almost terrified in view of the state of society I witnessed. I was glad to read that. You know, I'm glad to hear these great guys are scared to death and terrified sometimes when they're going to go and, and say, what's going to happen? What good is it going to do? You know, there's times that we've prayed about things, but I thought, well, God, if you don't do something, I sure can't do it. It's amazing, the, the answers to prayer. I, I say, uh, mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers, uh, we plead. Anyway, on Saturday, he said, the Lord applied with power to my heart the following words, and ad addressed by the Lord Jesus to Paul. Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not your peace, for I am with you, and no man will be able to set, you, set on you to hurt you, for I have much people in this city. This completely subdued my fears, but my heart was loaded with agony for the people. I pray that we have a heart that's loaded with agony for Gilmer County, <coughs> loaded with agony for the world around us. God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten son, so that whoever puts their faith in him will not perish because that's what they're going to do without Jesus, but have everlasting life. On Sunday morning, he says, I rose early and retired to a grove not far from the village to pour out my heart before God for a blessing on the labors of the dead. I could not express the agony of my soul in words, but struggled with much groaning. I believe with many tears for an hour or two without getting relief. I returned to my room in the hotel, but almost immediately came back to the grove, and this I did three times. The last time I got complete relief, just as it was time to go to the meeting. I went to the schoolhouse and found it filled to utmost capacity. I took out my little pocket Bible and read from my text. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I exhibited the love of God in contrast with the terrible manner in which they, the, he was treated by those he gave, for whom he gave up his son. I charged home their profanity upon them, and as I recognized many of the hearers, several whose profanity I particularly noticed in the fullness of my heart and the gushing of my tears. Now he's preaching to them and he's crying, and he's seen them in the village. He, met, he points to them and says, I heard you call to God to damn your fellow. The word took powerful effect. Nobody seemed offended, but almost everybody melted. At the close of the service, the amiable landlord, Mr. Copeland, rose up and said that we could meet there that afternoon. And we did so. The meeting house was full. And as in the morning, the word took powerful effect. Thus, a powerful revival commenced in the village, which soon afterwards spread in every direction. I think it was on the second Sabbath after this, when I came out of the pulpit in the afternoon, an old man approached me and said, can you come and preach in our neighborhood? We've never had religious meetings there. I inquired the direction, and he went there. I, pre I preached three times in the village and attended two prayer meetings on the Lord's Day. On Monday, I went on foot to fulfill the appointment. The weather was warm that day, and before I arrived, there I felt, there I felt almost too faint to walk and greatly discouraged my mind. I sat down in the shade by the wayside, and I felt as if I was too faint to even reach the village. 
if I did, too much discouraged to even open my mouth to the people. When I arrived, I found the house full, and immediately he commenced the service by reading a hymn. They attempted to sing, but the horror of this word agonized me beyond expression. I leaned forward with my head, uh, put my elbows on my knees and my hands over my ears, and shook my head with all to shut out the discord, which even then I could hardly endure. As soon as they ceased to sing, I cast myself down on my knees in a state of, state of desperation. The Lord opened the windows of heaven to me and gave me great enlargement and power in prayer. Up to this moment, I had no idea what text I was going to use on that occasion. As I rose from my knees, the Lord gave me this. Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. I told the people, as near as I could recollect, where they could find it, and went on to tell them of the destruction of Sodom. I gave them an outline of the history of Abraham and Lot and their relations to each other, and of Abraham's praying for Sodom, and of Lot, the only pious man found in that city. While I was doing this, I was struck by the fact that the people looked exceedingly angry at me, and my countenance, uh, many countenances appeared threatening, and some of the men who were near me looked like they were getting ready to do violence to me. This I couldn't understand, as I was only giving them with great liberty of spirit some of the interesting sketches of Bible history. As soon as I completed the historical sketch, I turned on them, and I said that I had understood that they'd never had religious meetings in this neighborhood. And applying that fact, I thrust at them with the sword of the Spirit with all my might. From this moment, solemnity increased with great rapidity. In a few moments, they seemed to put it, there seemed to fall on that congregation instantaneous shock. I cannot describe the sensation that I felt, nor what was apparent in the congregation. The word seemed literally to cut like a sword. The power from on high came down in such a torrent that they fell from their seats in every direction. In less than a minute, nearly the whole congregation was either down on their knees or on their faces or in some position prostrate before God. Everyone was crying or groaning for mercy upon his soul. They paid no further attention to me or to my preaching. I tried to get their attention, but I could not. I saw the old man who had invited me there, still sitting in his seat in the center of the house, staring around him with a look of unutterable astonishment. Pointing to him, I cried at the top of my voice, Can't you pray? He knelt down and roared out a short prayer, about as loud as he could, halloo. But they paid no attention to him. After looking around for a few moments, I knelt down, put my hands on the head of the young man who was kneeling at my feet, and engaged in prayer for mercy on his soul. I got his attention and preached Jesus in his ear. In a few minutes, he seized Jesus by faith, broke out in prayer for those around him. I then turned to another in the same way with the same result, and then another, and another, till I know not how many had laid hold of Christ and were full of prayer for others. After continuing in this way, nearly till sunset, I was obliged to commit the meeting to the charge of the old gentleman who had invited me, and to go fulfill an appointment in another place for the evening. In the afternoon, the next day, I was sent for to go down to this place, uh, for they would not be able to, uh, they had not been able to break up the meeting. They had been obliged to leave the schoolhouse to give place for the school, but had removed to a private house nearby, where I found another per number of persons still too anxious about their souls and too much loaded down with conviction to even go home. This is for a day and a half, two days. These were soon subdued by the word of God, and I believe all obtained a hope before they went home. Observe, I was a total stranger in that place. I had never seen or heard of it until I related. But here, at my second visit, I learned that the place was called Sodom by reason of its wickedness. And the old man who invited me was called Lot. Because he was the only professor of religion in the place. After this manner, the revival broke out in this neighborhood. I have not been in the neighborhood for many years. But in 1856, I think, while I was laboring, laboring in Syracuse, New York, I was introduced to a minister of Christ from St. Lawrence County by the name of Croft. He said, Mr. Finney, you don't know me. 
But do you remember preaching in a place called Sodom? I said, I shall never forget. He replied, I was a young man, and I was converted in that meeting. He's still living, a pastor in one of the churches in that county, and is the father of the principal for our preparatory department. Those who've lived in that region can testify to the permanent results of that blessed revival. I can only give in words a feeble description of the wonderful manifestation of power from those attending that revival. I would just like to invite you to most of you have been in church a lot you've heard of God, Jesus the Holy Spirit as we start this new year as we are a body of believers here and there's other bodies of believers in our community but there's 30,000 people at least in this community and on the best Sunday there's 5,000 in church probably more like three uh, our community is in terrible pain our community is in terrible darkness our community uh, lives like God is irrelevant. I would like to invite you to, if you've never been a Christian, if you've never given your life to the Lord, and He's speaking to you in His own special way today, convicting you. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, and it will result in righteousness. And with the mouth, you'll confess to your salvation. If you have just been playing at religion, and you're not really an obedient child of God, you're not following after Him, and you've said some words before, but you're not really a Christian today, would you just pray in your heart, say, Oh God, have mercy on me. You sent Jesus to die for me. He rose again from the dead. I believe that he was God come in the flesh and that he is my Lord. I want to ask him into my life. I want to say goodbye. I want to get in the back seat and let him drive. I want to be your servant for the rest of my life. Jesus, have mercy on me. I want to be at peace with God. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit and to live for you. Is there anybody here that's the prayer of your heart today? And just raise your hand and let me know that's the prayer of your heart today. I'd be glad to talk to you later. Um, not to embarrass you, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in front of people, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my Father. Is there anybody praying that prayer today? For the rest of us who are Christians, you know, when you get married, you think you know the person you're married. But there's a lot to learn. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He is God, the Holy Spirit. You never master Him. And God is calling us to a deeper, closer walk. If God has been stirring in your heart like He's stirring in my heart for that, I want to be part of a life that stirs people's hearts to come to Jesus when I meet them. I want to be part of a church where as people come, that they hear the truth of the word of God and it pierces into their heart by the Holy Spirit. And he's the one. You know, Peter, it wasn't because of his great elocution. It wasn't because uh, uh, of anything else besides the wonderful enduement of the Holy Spirit coming to pierce into hearts. 
And many hearts may have been touched that refused to come, but 3,000 called out and repented and were saved, baptized, and uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and filled Jerusalem with that thing. And a few days later, 5,000 were saved. I pray that we can be a part of the good news going all across LJ. So I'm just going to, it, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether to do this or not, but I'm going to give you the opportunity. Uh, if you stay in your seat, uh, God knows your heart, that's absolutely fine. But if you want to come up here with me and we'll just stand and face the cross here, Jesus, you notice the cross is empty. But if you want to say, I need a fresh filling, I need to be closer to you, I want to walk closer to you, and I want to join you standing as a public witness before God, the angels, the devil, and the people here, then you can just come stand with me. I don't want to manipulate. If I'm standing here by myself, that's good. But if God puts it in your heart to come here, then if you come and just uh, join me, let's call on the Lord to help us and to use us. And I pray that at the end of this year, we can have many, many, many others that join us here, kneeling and thanking God for saving their soul, thanking God for filling them with the Holy Spirit, thanking God for changing their life and to give us testimony. So whether you're seated there or here, let's just take a, a minute or two to quietly humble our hearts before the Lord and speak to Him. You just talk to Him where you are. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.